1: Feel like Kobe in the This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. And this is normally the part of the podcast where I run down for you what we're going to talk about on tonight's show. But you already know we are talking about the end of that game. I mean, we've had a we've had a couple of indescribably bad losses by the Wolves over the past 12 months. There was that game against Sacramento where the Wolves blew. I think it was a 27-point lead ending member with De'Aaron Fox intentionally missing a free throw and getting his own rebound. And, of course, there was the Jersey Tuck game in Oklahoma City that ended with Steven Adams throwing that 90-yard touchdown to Dennis Schroeder after Carl Anthony Towns wasn't able to intentionally miss a free throw. But I don't know, man. There was something about this one tonight that felt worse. You know, The, the Sacramento game and the Oklahoma City game – about not executing down the stretch right you know and, and execute an execution it is about coaching but it's also it's also about the players actually doing it tonight though it 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 just wasn't only about the players executing you know ryan saunders didn't call a timeout he went to the locker room with two timeouts still left in his pocket with ample opportunities to have used them in a way that could have shifted the game's balance and that's on saunders the rotations at the end of the game were on him too i mean I would say waiting too long to get Dilo into the game, rolling with a way small lineup. I mean, people are going to pull coals in these things. You know, those are arguments to be made, and those arguments would be on Saunders too. At the same time, you know, part of the bad rotations is the Wolves just having a bad roster. I mean, you're going to have bad rotations when you have a team that is talent poor. But that that's not the thing to me to focus on. I mean, what to focus on is the fact that he didn't call a timeout and he had two. That's not about the roster. Jared Vanderbilt got the rebound with six seconds seconds left and Saunders didn't call a timeout. When Vanderbilt caught the ball, there were six seconds left on the clock and he took two dribbles toward half court where 1.4 seconds went off the clock. In that time, Saunders needed to call a timeout. And the reason is because Jared Vanderbilt is a 50% free throw shooter. And because of that, you've got to call the timeout to avoid the risk. And the risk there is that the risk there is is that by calling a timeout, you, again, are going to need to inbound the ball, right, after the timeout. That is inherently risky. Orlando could have denied the ball and forced a turnover or cost a five-second inbounding call. That's a risk. And, and, you know, the Wolves wouldn't have been able to call a second consecutive timeout if the time was running down on the five-second call because you can't call back-to-back timeouts. So, yes, there's an argument. There's a risk. But at the same time, during the timeout, Saunders could have subbed D'Angelo Russell back into the game to be the player receiving the ball on the inbound. And Russell made 81% of his free throws last year and allegedly has ice in his veins. You know The difference between the proposition of Vanderbilt being at the line and Russell being at the line is worth whatever risk that is. And I think Saunders just froze up tonight and missed it. And this is my theory on why. Back to that Oklahoma City game. The Jersey tuck game. After the t-shirt tuck thing that Chris Paul called out, the Wolves were still up two with 17 seconds left in the game, and Oklahoma City had the ball. I just rewatched this. OKC goes on to miss their shot. So it's still a two-point lead for the Wolves. Cat grabs the rebound, and he gives the ball to Jeff Teague. Teague gets trapped and calls a timeout. So to win, all the Wolves have to do is inbound the ball, get fouled, and make the free throws, and they win. Literally the same situation as tonight. Well, what happened in that game was that Okogi inbounded the ball to Shabazz Napier, and it goes right through Napier's hands. Turnover, OKC ball. The next bucket scored in that game is the Stephen Adams bomb to Dennis Schroeder. The Timberwolves entered that game in OKC last year crazily with a 10-10 and record, and it absolutely broke their season. Wolves only won nine more games the entire rest of the year. Now that I was in no way am I using that example as an excuse for Saunders not calling a timeout tonight. It just might subconsciously explained the flawed logic he used in the moment tonight. I'm going to try and ask him about that at tomorrow's practice. We'll see how that goes. If he wants anything to do with that question, but that's my theory. I think Saunders was afraid to call a timeout because it was, calling a timeout in OKC that really signaled the beginning of the end of last season. Okay, the timeouts weren't the only thing that went wrong down the stretch. We've got to get into Jared Vanderbilt even being on the floor. And then beyond that, what the hell Malik Beasley was doing on the last play where Cole Anthony hit the game winner. Let's take a quick break first. What's up, everybody? We have something to tell you about here at Blue Wire, and that is that we love sports betting. And whether you've been betting for a while or you're thinking about getting started, we want to let you know great resources for sports bettors, and that's the Action Network. The Action Network is where sports fans go to bet smarter and experience real financial gains. In fact, their Action Network app was recently named the best app in sports betting. And with an Action Network Pro subscription, you can unlock the very best of the app. When you sign up, for an Action Pro, Action Network Pro subscription, you can access the Pro Report, which includes expert projections for every game. You can see money and bet percentages on every game. You can see the team's professional...
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data
1: gamblers are betting on, you can take advantage of pro systems which match winning historical betting trends with the latest games and lines, you can track every bet you make and get alerts in real time. So if you're looking to bet smarter, an Action Network Pro subscription is the way to get started. For a limited time, our listeners can receive 50% off an annual pro subscription. Just go to actionnetwork.com and receive 50% off an annual subscription when you use the code MORE50. M-O-O-R-E-5-0. This offer won't last, so go to ActionNetwork.com to sign up for a pro subscription and use promo code MORE50 to receive 50% off and start betting smarter today. Okay, I think there are three other things that went wrong down the stretch that we need to dig into. The rotation and who was on the floor ten the game. Two, why Jared Vanvelt was even in the game. And three, what Malik Beasley was doing on the final play or Cole Anthony gets the rebound, dribbles on the floor, and hits a game winner. So starting with the rotation, these are the players that were out there to close. D'Lo, McLaughlin, Beasley, Akogi, Nazreed. I know a lot of people don't like how small that group is, but for me, that wasn't really my problem with the closing rotation. You know, those being the closing five players is I mean, that's about COVID. That's about the roster in general. I mean, that's the talent that was available. You know, given that the guys were out with COVID, I mean, those five are pretty much your five best players. Those were the starters, except with McLaughlin in for Vanderbilt, and it shifted Kogi up to the four, and which I thought was fine. Orlando didn't have two bigs out there, so I thought it was fine to go with Kogi at the four. He was guarding Aaron Gordon, who was playing small ball four for Orlando. That's fine. You can make the argument that Vanderbilt should have been in there over McLaughlin, but McLaughlin was actually the only one who was really playing well down the stretch. I think, I think this this argument's a little bit more Swiss cheese, and that would have been people arguing to have Jaden McDaniel's or Anthony Edwards out there to close. I mean, really, who who are the other options other than that? I mean, yes, McDaniel's and Edwards were having good games. But I don't think I would have closed the game with a rookie. Would you? I mean, we we saw what Ant did at the end of the game against San Antonio. Rookies make mistakes in those situations. It's their first time doing it. My my problem. My problem was with Saunders waiting too long to bring Dilo back in the game in the fourth quarter. He didn't check in until there was four thirty seven left in the game. He was out. Dilo was out resting for the previous three minutes and twenty seconds of game time, which was. A lot longer than three minutes and twenty seconds of actual resting time, and when you consider that and the fact that Dilo only played thirty-two total minutes for the game, I just think it was a missed opportunity for Saunders to put his foot on Orlando's neck by going to Dilo earlier there. I mean, by comparison, on the other side of the ball, Nikola Vucevic played forty-three minutes. It was, you know, Orlando Saunders had a post-game. You know, he said it was it was a game that Orlando, Orlando was clearly treating like a must win so they went all out with Vucevic 43 deal played 32 they went long with their best player I think the Wolves should have done that too two let's talk about that defensive possession where Vanderbilt gets the rebound so there's like 15 seconds left and it's a dead ball situation right and I don't think you could see this on TV but Vanderpool runs over to Saunders and says something to him during this dead ball and then Ryan points at Vanderbilt who checks in for McLaughlin this move, I, I I don't quite know what to think about it. I, I see it as like a, a 50-50 move in my eyes, and it kind of played out as a 50-50. Like the logic of bringing Vanderbilt in there is for defense and rebounding, right? Well, only one of the two worked. Orlando went on to on that play to run a Spain pick and roll, and Vanderbilt, you know, in tandem with Nas, completely botched the coverage, at leaving Vanderbilt's man Aaron Gordon wide open for a three. Luckily, Gordon misses the shot, and then Vanderbilt, because he is an awesome rebounder, grabs the board. That's a loss in the coverage and then a win in the rebound. Now, the problem is that win of the rebound was negated by Saunders because, again, he didn't call a timeout. So Vanderbilt got fouled and was sent to the line. That's the reason you don't want Jared Vanderbilt in at the end of the game is the potential that he might need to shoot free throws. So 50-50, obviously, with revisionist history or hindsight or whatever I mean it's a bad coaching move but then I think where this game got really weird was was with the third part and with Malik Beasley and I'm sure you couldn't see this on tv so you're just gonna have to take my word for it But I was the only media person there and one of the only people in the stadium and and this is what happened I mean Vanderbilt misses the first free throw right and I'm sure you guys are seeing this on tv where Right? You're only seeing the lane. You're seeing Vanderbilt right there. And so then after that first miss, there's this delay where the teams are subbing, or Orlando subbing in players. For some reason during the delay, Malik Beasley wanders all the way under the opposite hoop, which, given the setup of the game, makes absolutely no sense. Because if Vanderbilt makes his second free throw, Orlando still has... 4.6 seconds to run the ball up the floor and shoot. Remember, I mean Orlando doesn't have any timeouts. So they're going to pass the ball in. And even if Vanderbilt made the free throw, it's a three-point game. They're going to try and hit a three-point shot. Send it to OT. So Beasley's got to get up on him. Obviously. There's no reason to be under the hoop. Saunders notices this in the middle of the the subbing in. And and he starts yelling at Beasley to come guard Cole Anthony. Beasley just kind of, it was weird. He just kind of starts jogging up slow. Felt like one of those situations where Beasley was, like, trying to play it cool. Like, oh, yeah, I, I knew that. I knew that. And and it was just – I I say that that's what I feel like was going in his head because he was so nonchalant to get over to Cole Anthony. It was like a deliberate, slow jog so as to indicate that he knew what was going on. You know what I mean? I wish we could see this on film, but it doesn't show up if you if you watch it on the TV broadcast. And, I mean – it doesn't make sense because this is Malik Beasley we're talking about. This is the dude who sprints across the floor, like the opposite side of the floor, to help teammates up when they fall on the ground to give him a hand up. He's not a nonchalant person. It was super bizarre. And that and that's why the only explanation I can think of is he was just trying to play it cool. And while he was playing it cool there, Saunders and now Vanderpool are like screaming at him. Vanderpool's come over and is also screaming at Malik to come up and guard Cole Anthony. The guy who's going to get the ball, even if Vanderbilt makes the free throw. But as Saunders and Vanderbilt are screaming, Vanderbilt is already in mid-free throw stroke. So when he misses that free throw, and it gets tipped to Cole Anthony, Malik, who's still in super slow jog, just isn't there. But the ball is up in the air going towards Anthony, and then Beasley starts sprinting over to him. Well, that's too late. Anthony gets the rebound that Beasley should have had him boxed out for. And Cole Anthony goes down the court with Beasley scrambling next to him, and the rest is history. Bucket. Wolves lose. Now, that that part specifically goes back to the whole players not executing thing. But here's the thing. Here's the other question for Saunders related to timeouts was Saunders, again, could have ta- called a timeout right there. He sees Malik doing whatever the hell he was doing, and he could have called a timeout. Now, I, I mean – I want to bounce this off other coaches because it would have been kind of weird thing for Saunders to do because he functionally would have been icing his own kicker, right? He would have been taking Vanderbilt, who's just missed his first free throw, calling a timeout, bring him into the huddle. I mean, he would have been icing him, but at the same time, the defense would have been set after the free throw. Malik would have been up or they could have subbed in players. He could have put together a defense there in that situation I guess you would allow them to drop something offensively too but still given that their defense just wasn't set I think the timeout there in the moment again it's probably a, a second and a half that Saunders has to make the decision but I think the timeout there makes sense because again even if Vanderbilt makes it there's still 4.6 seconds left on the clock and you need to have your defense set full court and the defense just wasn't set it's another way the game was lost I asked Saunders about the play in his post-game interview. Ryan, it looked like on that last play that Malik was initially under the other basket, and you were you were from where I was sitting, looked like you were you were calling for him to come back. Was he initially supposed to be back, and then that was last second, or what? What kind of transpired on that last play? Yeah, no, it's our standard uh, our standard free throw um, box out, you know, to, to be there with with the uh, with the the other um, defensive player, and uh, not let him get behind you. Now, I know I'm doing the thing here where I'm deflecting blame off of Saunders, and I know you guys hate that. But I promise here, at least in this specific instance, I'm just trying to describe what I saw. And it was something that I was able to see that, in this case, you weren't. And and what I saw was an action that has blame on both the players and on the coach. And quite frankly, this team has inexperienced players and an inexperienced coach. That's just facts and inexperienced people are prone to make mistakes and that's what happened tonight so there's that but i also want to acknowledge i don't know if it's fault but i want to acknowledge something here too and i i just do think in ways i've given saunders too much rope this season and i want to acknowledge some of that And i want to share why i think that's happened to explain i think i haven't been totally objective with saunders this season And it's my job as a journalist, even though I have a weird type of journalist job, it's my job to be objective. And sometimes I haven't been that with Saunders. I think at this point, many of you know me, been listening to this show for a long time. You know what I'm about. You know, I'm trying to paint the whole picture with my coverage, highlighting what's working and going into what isn't working. Use the insight I have from being on the quote unquote inside to lay out what I understand is actually happening. I try not to get too pumped up about a win and not burn it all down after a loss. That's not me. But in this, I'm also a person. And as a person, sometimes this stuff is difficult to navigate. There's a, there's a, a human element to this job that people like me and the other beat reporters have to figure out as we go. What I've come to learn in doing it, doing this job for a while now is this job is about relationships, And relationships require you to treat the people you're covering like a real person. And sometimes it's the nature of it that just gets in the way of objectivity. But to explain myself, you've got to understand that this is an everyday job. I have to go talk to Ryan tomorrow after practice. And the day after that, at the game against the Hawks. And the day after that, the game against the Pelicans. I can't just full-on blow up his spot after the game when he makes a mistake but it goes both ways too he can't just snap on us either Saunders has to talk to us too every day he has to treat me like a person too and part of the reason I think a cynic might be right in saying that I've given Ryan Saunders a pass is because Ryan has treated me like a person the only other basketball coach I've ever covered professionally in any way is Tom Thibodeau that's a pretty big factor here Tibbs treated me a lot different than Ryan does this is the third year I've, I've covered the Timberwolves full-time. And three years ago, Ryan Saunders took over midway through the season for tips. In those three years, um, I've gotten to know Ryan, and he's gotten to know me. I'm not saying we're best friends or anything like that. Far from it. Not even close. But we talk on the phone. We text after some of the games. I hear him out about things about his team, and he hears out what I have to say about my questions. You know, that's me getting to know him, I think. But on the other end, Saunders has also gotten to know me. And again, those of you who are cynics are probably just going to think that's, that's Ryan greasing up the media so they'll write or say nice things about him. And is some of that true? I mean, I guess, sure. It's the, it's the same reason you're nice to your boss. But I also think, I think Ryan Saunders is just a genuine, genuinely nice person and that that doesn't mean people shouldn't be able to rip on him, but for me, Ryan was the first person to call me when I lost my beat writing job during the pandemic. I actually don't even know how he caught wind of it. I was literally just sitting at home a couple hours unemployed and I'm freaking out about what I was going to do with my life. And it was a month into the pandemic I, I had an hour long conversation with Saunders that night about me, you know, before my family even knew I was unemployed. And we we talked about how we love our jobs and and how it's funny that, you know, we both grew up a town away from each other. He grew up in Wayzata and I grew up in Hopkins, and how we're both now working in the NBA as thirty something year olds, and we we talked about how that's how that's a blessing, and and also why we both feel like we deserved it. I don't know. I don't know, man. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. It's been a weird year, and that, for me, was a big, weird part of it. So does that, does does our relationship make it so I've given Saunders the benefit of the doubt over the course of the year? I don't know. Maybe. Probably. If that makes you mad, I don't, sue me. I'm just a guy with a podcast. I, I don't work for the Star Tribune or the Pioneer Press or the Athletic. I don't have a journalism degree. I majored in finance and economics. The only English class I took in college was a, as a freshman. It was about filmmaking. I'm not going to be perfect at being a journalist. And you know what? I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm going to keep trying to get better, but I'm also I'm also just going to keep trying to be fair along the way. And I think being fair sometimes isn't just about being perfectly objective. But if that's what you need, if you need that, well, there are some great newspapers out there who are. I just listed them off. But they don't have podcasts. Until that becomes my job description, until I'm required to work a certain way, I'm going to keep doing it my way. I'm my boss and my boss says this is okay. So sorry. That's what you're going to get here. If you can't take it, take it or leave it. I, I don't know what to tell you. It feels like As I'm sitting here, it feels like we're going to remember tonight. This night feels oddly similar to that breakdown against the Kings and the disaster against the Thunder. And I'm I'm just not sure how many more of those bullets Saunders can take. I mean, this might be one of the last podcasts I do where he's the coach of this team. I don't know. Objectively, I do see both sides to it. I see a team that is losing more games than they should and in ways they shouldn't be losing them. On the other side, I see a team that has had D'Angelo Russell on it for a year Get has only seen Russell play five total games with Carl Anthony Towns over that year. It's a weird situation, and it's a situation where I think there are multiple justifiable paths to take from here. Well, all I can say is whatever path Gerson Rosas decides to take, I'll be covering it here on this podcast, trying to be fair. You're all crazy people for listening. <laughs> Until then... I'm Dane. Thank you for listening. Peace out.